Well, John, welcome. It's good to see you. It's good to see you too. I'm glad you got the blue memo that I definitely remembered to send today. And yours, is that a Price is Right shirt? It's not. It's themed off of the Price is Right, but it's a, are you, do you YouTube at all? Yeah, kind of. Are you familiar with Smosh? Yes. This is a, do you know what are those? Damien's show? This is how much money in the world is it, does it cost? Okay. That's awesome. Meg was just like scrolling through their merch and she was like, hey, do you want the shirt from Damien's show? And I was like, yes. That's a great YouTube channel. I just, I love the chaos energy that Damien has on what are those. That whole studio, they've got, they've got some good things going on. Well, and they're under Mythical now. They have been for a while, so... Oh, yeah. The Rhett and Link own them, so if you include Rhett and Link under, like, all under that same umbrella, like, that's some solid, solid content there. Well, speaking of content, we've got it, too. So just to kind of get things started, you know, get the ball rolling a little bit, work work those brain cells. Maybe Maybe you've been staring at a screen a lot or just kind of doing the same old paperwork over and over again. You know, got to wake it up got to get it going what food do you take for granted like what Mm. food if it disappeared you would like that's when you would realize you know that's a food i really enjoy waffles waffles okay i'm not gonna sit here and say waffles are my favorite food because they're not and i'm not gonna sit here and say waffles are something i eat often because they're not but what i am going to sit here and say is when i want a waffle i want a waffle pancakes are not a substitute they're good but they're good separately so you can't really have like chicken and pancakes doesn't really work like chicken and waffles does so i think in terms of the more irreplaceable foods would be something akin to a waffle my answer would be pickles i could see it they're very versatile you put them on stuff munch them by yourself fry them i just it's one of those things that whenever my wife buys pickles that's when I and I started eating them again and I'm like I missed having this in the house and I didn't realize that I missed this yeah and they have to be dill get that bread and butter crap out of here what about spicy pickles oh yeah spite yeah I can do a spicy pickle and honestly pickled anything is pretty good which is I don't know if that's a southern thing but you know like uh pickled okra really good wasn't there that movie with Seth Rogen a couple of years ago when there was a pickled person Yes. He had been pickled yeah, I, for like a hundred years. I think it's a years. show actually on Hulu, I want to say. I don't know. I'll be a hundred percent honest with you. I saw that Seth Rogen was the star and I was like, nah, that ain't for me. Yeah, me too. I did the same thing. I respect Seth Rogen and he has a market, but I am not part of it. And I don't know if I would go so far as to say respect, but... I, I mean, I imagine... I, I want to give him credit for being good at what he does. And in that sense, I respect him. There definitely is a demographic and audience that really enjoys him. Yes. And, and so for that, you have to say, okay. Well, and to my to my knowledge, again, you know, I'm not a fan, so I don't have this, this intimate knowledge of him and his career, but you don't hear a lot of like, oh, Seth Rogen has another controversy. He's just that's like, true. he might have said something dumb. That's part of his brand, I feel like, at this point. He's just, he's just high all the time. Yeah. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. Nope. No, no, no. No superheroes here. Just Jay and John. Welcome to the nerdiest podcast you'll ever hear. They didn't ask us. 
Well, welcome to another episode of They Didn't Ask Us. I am Jay, and with me, of course, is Dan Druff. I thought I told you that in confidence. You're a little flaky. It's okay, I'll just brush it off. Well, guys, welcome back. Glad to have you back. Thanks for joining us again. We love having you here with us, and we're really excited about this week because the what we're reviewing today is Blade Runner from 1982. It actually takes place in 2019. So, so it's historical. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not completely different from reality i mean it's you know la is not the best place to be yeah but it's mm, we can we can get into that when we get to the review Yeah, because i don't entirely disagree with you but for the sake of content there is a debate to be made yes there is so that's what we're reviewing today but the the reason why it's exciting it was actually suggested by a listener has been listening to the show for a while and this was something that he wanted us to review so we gladly said sure Sounds great. Uh, this was my third or fourth time watching this movie. I've seen this several occasions. But yeah, coming... Uh, actually, I feel like every time I watch it, there's something new I take away from it. So, But we'll get more into that later. First, though, we have the news. First off, DC fans are really good at uh, trying to get their voices heard. And so DC fans are up to making their voices heard again with the hashtag... Make the Batfleck movie. It was trending on Twitter for actually several days. Yeah, I don't know. It's not going to happen. Just just give it up. Give it up. Go away. I mean, don't get me wrong. I I am on record as being a Batfleck fan, and I genuinely think there's one person you would have to convince to get that movie made, and that person is Ben Affleck. And I imagine he has no desire to do that movie at all. Not at all. He's done with being Batman. I mean, you could tell, and even just his promotional stuff for Batman v Superman, even then he was not all that thrilled about what he did. I don't know so much if it was he wasn't thrilled about what he did in Batman v Superman as much as it is before that movie came out, and especially before Justice League and then the Snyder Cut, that there was almost, like, you were hard-pressed to find someone who would give him a chance, because coming off the heels of Christian Bale and the Nolan trilogy, everyone was like, oh no, this isn't the Batman we want, this isn't the Batman we need, this isn't, like, we don't want him, and then, you know, I was, I mean, I was in that, I was one of those, like, I'm very suspicious of, of this casting, but then I watched, really, it wasn't, it wasn't Batman vs. Superman that did it for me, it was Justice League, when I was like, Mm. okay, he's not as bad as I thought he was, but, you know, Justice League, I was like, no, he's actually really good. Yeah, I think he pulled it off pretty good. I absolutely agree. I would have loved to have seen a movie with him, of course, but it's not gonna happen, and it's time to move on, Mm -hmm. so... Put it to rest. The same with the the restore the Snyderverse people. It's like, that's never going to happen. No. This was always a one-off, and I feel like most people should have expected that from the beginning, regardless of how good it was. It's kind of like when you've got a spoiled kid, and the spoiled kid complains so much, and they finally get what they want, so they think that if they whine and complain every single time, they're going to continue to get what they want. It's the same scenario. To a degree... 
Um, but I feel like it's also two sides of a coin where one, it's like, like the two-faced coin, how one side of it's real scratched up and it's damaged and all that. The other side of the coin, the, the perfect, the intact side is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes. When it's like, Marvel fans, you don't even really hear them asking for too much because they're just like, no, we'll let them do what they want to do. They've proven they can do it. So it's just kind of counterbalancing that with DC, like outside of the first Wonder Woman and Aquaman, what would you say is a good dc eu movie man of steel was okay yeah man of steel is the only one in contention for me well speaking of the dc universe one of the characters that's going to be coming up soon is black adam black adam is going to be played by none other than dwayne the rock johnson and dwayne the rock johnson talks recently about the possibility of running for president Yes, a recent poll said 46% of Americans would vote for him. Not sure where that poll was done. Um, WrestleMania. You're right. <laughs> so I don't, um, I don't get that. I, yeah, I don't, I don't stay out of it, I guess. Wasn't that a meme? I guess it would have been f- four and a half years ago now. I think it was like 2016 when it was like, Tom Hanks is going to run for president and Dwayne Johnson will be his vice president. Because if Tom Hanks can't talk the problem down for you, Dwayne The Rock Johnson can action movie the problem down for you. There you go, yeah. Like I feel like that was I feel like that was an SNL meme. Maybe. I think Tom Hanks was hosting and for whatever reason The Rock was there or The Rock was hosting and Tom Hanks was there. I re- I remember that happening, but I don't know that it actually happened. Was that the same episode where they had the Bambi preview? <laughs> The, the live the ba- Bambi, Bambi. too. <laughs> it could it could be. That's funny. I had forgotten about that one. Because that's fantastic in a movie I would totally watch. I, I'll be honest with you. I would watch that movie. Well, he quoted saying, Not sure our founding fathers ever envisioned a 6'4", bald, tattooed, half-black, half-Samoan, tequila-drinking, pickup-driving, fanny-pack-wearing guy joining their club. But if it ever happens, I'd, it'd be an honor to serve the people. I think the reason the Founding Fathers wouldn't have imagined that is because they don't know what half of those words mean. Yes, that is exactly what I thought, too. <laughs> like, the idea of, like, George Washington and tequila existing in the same place is very funny to me. Yes. And honestly, I think at that time they would have been like, what's a Samoan? Or a, so. I don't know that they would have wanted to know what a fanny pack was, given what that means in Britain. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> So, Tom Cruise. Oh, what a jump. Top Gun. Right. Has been moved. To never. Surprise, surprise, to November 19th of this year. Uh, When was it scheduled to come out? Originally, it was scheduled to come out in July. Okay. So, it's been pushed to November. That's honestly, I'm not super thrilled about there being such a belated Top Gun sequel, but I bet I know exactly what they're trying to do. You want to know what's around that time in November? Uh, Veterans Day. Actually, not what I was going for, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking Thanksgiving. Oh, okay. Yeah, the Thanksgiving crowd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. Because they might have had some other type of blockbuster come out around when they were scheduled in July, and they were like, we don't have enough confidence in this movie to challenge something else. Yeah. Well, he's um, a lot of his movies are being pushed back, including Mission Impossible to release this movie 7, moved to May... 
27th of 2022. Oh, hey, that's my birthday. Happy birthday, John. Yeah, it's not going to happen because they'll push that back too. And also, it's now going to be competing with John Wick 4. So Hold up. John Wick 4 comes out on my birthday? Let's go. Yeah. Thanks, Keanu. What a, what a guy. guy. Hey. <laughs> we said the same thing at the same time. Competing with John Wick 4 and being pushed back now another year. I just... This is just driving me insane. I don't know what to think about it. Like, it's... We talked about it last time in the last episode, actually, very briefly. But they keep pushing back the movies. And like I told you, I just... I don't really understand why. Because, you know, at this point, most people are like, I'm either going to go see the movie or I'm not. You know, and maybe they're just waiting for Regal to open back up. But honestly... If they would say, if there were enough big movies that were saying, hey, we're just going to go ahead and release, you know, maybe even do the duo of like, we're going to do part of the release in theaters and, and also have a release on digital, like a week later or something like that. I really think Regal would be like, okay, that's enough reason to open up. Yeah. That's enough reason to get business rolling again. Yeah. I would, I would wonder if it's not something more content related. You think so? Like how. Surely they finished it. No, 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 not not that it's unfinished, but that there's something inside of the movie that they were like, oh, no, we can't have that anymore. No, that's not it. What what was that stupid movie that, um, who's the guy that did Transformers? Michael Bay. Michael Bay released a movie that, not too long ago, that was basically like the end of the world and it was COVID-23 or something like that, and just everything's locked up and no i mean i mean in terms of like you know someone makes a reference to something that you don't really reference anymore or someone says a word that they're not supposed to say anymore i mean in terms of that oh but even then you wouldn't expect unless it's a major plot point that it would take that much of like you would push it out that far it might just be like we need like a month because he said something stupid like this script is bad and we need to reshoot a scene or now it's just a little more sensitive yeah walking on eggshells always oof it's a harsh life well last in the news we got phoebe waller bridge will be staring staring gosh will be starring (laughs) alongside harrison ford and indiana jones 5 you mean indiana jones 4 i mean indiana jones and the temple of prunes gotta stay regular yeah i was thinking raiders of the forgotten story arc because at this point They've been trying to make this movie since Crystal Skull came out, and it just... This is... Of all of the cash grab sequels that exist, this is the one I want the least, because this is the most damaging, the the series as a whole, to me. Well, you know, it's like the movie starts up, and, you know, it's a nice scene of, like, a fence and some horses on a farm, and Harrison Ford walks up to the fence and then looks directly into the camera and is like, I want to talk to you... A few minutes about a reverse mortgage. Dead gummit. <laughs> and how it can benefit you in your retirement. By the way, it can't. Reverse mortgages are bad. Don't get them. Yeah. PSA. Yes. Or it starts up and he's standing beside a fireplace and he's like, I'd like to talk to you about your diabetes <laughs> testing supplies. <laughs> the the first, like instead of trailers, it just has AARP commercials. Yeah. Or it's just him searching for a landing strip the entire time. Too real. <laughs> he'd land on the highway he's done it yes before. he would i just Ugh. a new indiana jones movie just seems unnecessary it's very the last one was unnecessary too i remember when the trailer came out for it and i thought okay why 
Like we yeah. we got an ending. Like why why did we need another one? Yeah. Oh, well, dear. The thing to me is you have like the the new Tomb Raider games, and you have Uncharted games, and then there was a Tomb Raider movie, and I think there's a sequel to that, even though it wasn't very well reviewed. And then there's a new Uncharted movie coming out. And it's like those all fill that void. Yeah. Totally. You don't need, like, without Indiana Jones, those movies and games don't exist. I'm very confident saying that. Oh, yeah, I agree. But I think they can exist now without new Indiana Jones. Or old Indiana Jones. No, you're not wrong. It's now time for our newest segment, Wordy Nerd of the Day. Nerd word, nerdy wordy of the day. The word this week is actually not a word, but three letters. D-L-C. John, could you please give the country of origin for... I'm kidding. Um, um, Steam. Oh, gosh. You're, <laughs> yes, you're not wrong. D-L-C also stands for downloadable content. It's true. Yes, this is the kind of material that is added to a video game at a later date. So what happens a lot now is a video game is released... Let's take, for example, Red Dead Redemption 2. Red Dead Redemption 2 is a video game that was made by Rockstar. It was released. It was released the full game. However, they decided that there was some more material that they wanted to release at a later date. This is done to make more money. But then if somebody hasn't bought the game yet, they'll sometimes bundle them together to make the new buyer go... Ooh, that looks good. <laughs> so they they uh, kind of put that out there in front of them to, to make them go for it. Downloadable content is what you can get later to add on to the content that you already have on your game. This is both a pro and a con. I think a lot of people nowadays are fine with it. However, there are old fogies like me that I'm like, hey, if you're going to release a game, can you just release it completely, you know, completed instead of giving me half of it and then giving me the other half later that I have to pay for? Yeah, that's uh, the end of your the end of your stance to me is where it's a most valid criticism, because if you release a game that is for all intents and purposes fully complete, and it stands on its own without any DLC. I don't have a problem with that. Right. The problem is where the the game, the base game, as it were, doesn't end. It just stops. And you almost need, it almost necessitates buying the additional content to finish that plot. Because that is more of a cash grab to me of saying, we knew we could rope you in for 20, 30, 40 more dollars. And that doesn't sit well with me. Mm-hmm. For the mm-hmm. for the most part, I am going to be largely okay uh, with, with DLC. Um, a lot of games uh, offer what's called a season pass or an ultimate edition. I think each, each studio kind of calls it something different. And it packages, you know, you get all of those expansions for free for for free when you buy the higher priced edition um and they they typically bundle in things like aesthetics like characters skins or bonus armor or sometimes even uh digital booklets i've seen when it's like read about the the development of the game and no one does that i don't care yeah no I, play can it. i can i play 
this storybook that you have with your concept art? No. Then why do I want it? Yeah, I think a, a great example of something that the downloadable content, the DLC, was appropriate and well-made. Actually, I used Red Dead Redemption 2. The first Red Dead Redemption had oh, the game undead and it was it was complete yes and then they had the undead nightmare which was a dlc that basically you got an entirely new game and it it really did just add on and what it was was john marston is the character that you're playing and he comes back from the dead and uh Spo- yeah, spoilers very for good. this game from like 2006 in fact you can buy it now uh for on xbox one Xbox Series S updated and Red Dead or Undead Nightmare or both. Both they come together. Okay. So well well worth the purchase. But yes, that was DLC, downloadable content. All right. Now time for something really exciting. The appetizer review. The appetizer review of Falcon oh and the Winter gosh, Soldier. Dude. We got two episodes this week. Power Broker and the whole world is watching. I'm going to have to pull up a synopsis for uh, The Power Broker. Yes, please do. Because I, I remember it, but not in order. I know. I'm actually, I think I'm getting the two episodes, like, in my head, they're combined. Mm-hmm. Which, really, I kind of feel, that's how the whole season has felt so far. Like, each episode really does kind of interlock with the previous one. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, This is actually a much smaller, congested plot than I was expecting. Uh, Do you want me to just go ahead and go for it? Go for it. All right, so uh, at the end of episode two, Bucky and Sam go to see Zemo in prison, and then they have like a brief, I think it's just a shot, I don't know that they have a conversation at all, Um, and then that episode ends. And this episode starts, Bucky kind of breaks Zemo out of prison. A little bit. By kind of, he, he, he... puts the wheels in motion, develops a plan, and it goes off without a hitch, which I feel like is kind of impressive. Zemo, Bucky, and Sam go to Madripoor, which is uh, notable for for reasons we may discuss here in a minute, Um, but it's a a hive of criminal activity. Zemo is there because he knows he has a contact about the super soldier serum. He's a high-ranking criminal named Selby, and as soon as Selby gives them a name, boom killed they they fight their way out they're like oh no what are we gonna do now we're all wanted there are these huge bounties on our heads and then who saves the day jay no who saves the day but sharon oh my gosh she just like one taps these three dudes walks out of the alley pulls her hood down she's just like why are you here what's why so they go to find the doctor who developed the serum and then zemo kills him they find out there are 20 doses of the serum total. So there, what is it? Eight have been used, so there are 12 outstanding? Or is it the other way around? 12 have been used. I can't used. remember it. I, th- I feel like there were like 12 left, okay. honestly. So I think it was eight had been used. So Zemo kills him. Um, and then they have to get out of Madripoor somehow. In this whole situation, Sharon is incredible. She's like a, what? what is she? She's not a fence. She's just like a high-level art dealer or something. She's mm-hmm. she's someone very important, which more power to her. But we basically find out that she's having to stay off the radar. Like In We the, find out that she's still kind of like a wanted 
individual. Mm-hmm. So she's having to keep a, a low profile. Well, because so that she isn't Madripoor. Madripoor has no extradition, so she can't leave because she's wanted right. by the U.S. for helping, capt- for helping Steve and Bucky and Sam in Civil War. So anyway, back back to the plot now that I can refocus. Fake Captain America and Lamar Hoskins go to Berlin. They put two and two together to get four, and that is that Bucky and Sam helped Zemo escape from prison. Uh, Carly and the Flag Smashers raid a storage facility in Lithuania for supplies. And Carly Still a dumb name. The, the Flag Smashers? <laughs> yeah. I don't disagree, but I feel like... Isn't there a Flag Smasher character in the comics i don't know it sounds like a wrestler i hate that you're right i'm coming (laughs) after you john cena me the flag smasher oh man i hate that you're ah i can't unhear that is the problem oh man anyway anyway sorry so they the the flat flag smashers uh raid a storage facility in lithuania and Carly decides to blow up the building to send a message. Um, Zemo, Bucky, and Sam travel to Latvia. <laughs> I like how, sorry, I also like how Carly, she blows up that building, and the guy in the car is like, there were people in there. And she just kind of looks at him and is like, yeah. <laughs> like, no, no, like, no second thoughts at all. She's just like, let's just roll with it. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting to see her progression through the series so far. Um, and that's something we can, we can talk about. I'm going to wrap up here. Um, Zemo, Bucky and Sam get to Latvia to search for Carly in the street. Bucky sees, uh, Wakandan tracking devices. So he goes to take a walk and he is confronted by a member of the Dora Milaje who has come for Zemo. Oh, snap. That episode ends. In the question, alley. big question. Okay, and this might we might end up debating about this the entire time. But if Chadwick Boseman was still alive, do you think it would have been him in the alleyway? No. Okay. Because the way Episode Four starts, I gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so I I immediately after Episode Three after I finished watching it. I think I went on Twitter and I was like, the third episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier is my vote of the single greatest Marvel television episode, bar none. Well, I also, I think it's hilarious that in the last episode, you uh, listeners, you should go back and listen to our review of the, the previous episode. But um, John, actually, everything that he wished would happen like going forward happens in this episode. I don't know. That. Sharon shows up was the first thing that you were like, man, I really want her. I, I don't know why she's not in it yet. She shows up. And then also there was the scene where they get in the car. Oh and yeah. He's like, can you move up your seat? <laughs> and he goes, Nope. And it's a direct, you know, directly from civil war. So yeah, the Sharon thing I knew was an eventuality. So I don't, I don't think I deserve credit for that. But the the car seat scene is so iconic, it had to be addressed to some degree. And I think there was one other thing, but I can't think of what it is. I'm drawing a blank. I was... I, I love it. may have episode. had something to do with Zemo. The mask? Maybe. 
Because he put the mask on in this episode, too. Anyway, yeah. Good episode. I enjoyed it I I love what they did with the character of Sharon. Because for, for context, I don't remember what exactly it is she does in Civil War. Um, but she does, does she like break them out of prison or something? Um, I don't know. It's been a second since I've seen that. She, she does enough that I think it would be considered treasonous. Yeah. So she is regarded as an enemy of the state and she's been on yep. the run in Madripoor for at this point, canonically, what is that? Like seven years? Cause you have the five years of between the snaps and then however long before infinity war. So and yeah, and then also we I guess we have to assume that she did not disappear during the snap. That I that was my assumption, um uh, but given how well established she is, I feel like she could not have done that so quickly. Right. So yeah, that, that was, was, was absolutely too. an assumption. The plot took them to Madripoor. I was understatedly excited because I was like this is important, but I don't really know why yet. And then I looked it up and I was much more excited. Oh, really? You know something that I don't. Madripoor is a very important city in X-Men. Oh, really? Yes. Was it in one of the movies? In in uh, comics, X-Men. Madripoor. Uh, the, the Wikipedia article says, The Principality of Madripoor is a fictional island located in maritime Southeast Asia, appearing in American comic books published by Marvel Comics, mostly associated with stories from the X-Men series. So well, it, how is, about that? it is an X-Men locale. Oh man. You want to know a character this... who's very important in Madripoor history? Can I guess? You can guess. I'm going to guess Nightcrawler. No, because I feel like he's too lawful good. Okay. Oh, okay. So it's somebody who's maybe a little more someone who on is the wild side. Inside of Madripoor is known by an alias. That alias is Patch. Oh, I have no idea. Logan. Really? Yes. Huh. Interesting. There is there is a t- I don't know that he ever was like the leader of Madripoor, but he is a a high up person from what I understand at various points in the in the X Men history. Hmm. Well, that's something that's very interesting. I I know that um I it seems like they're trying to give us hints at the X Men at the the mutants trying to make an appearance but at the same time i don't know if they're doing it on purpose or if they're just doing it and it's just like they're just toying with us i don't know i think it's it's going to end up being a mix of both i think it's going to be you know we're going to address this um we're going to dance around it but then we're going to ultimately bring these characters in in a way that you're not expecting. I think I think that's how it's going to be. So the the locale of Madripoor is was very intriguing for for long-term Marvel fans. And I didn't really know that. I just knew that it was kind of a like this seems like an important place. Well, for them to name the place specifically and not just some generalized like location. Well, and for the most part, you know, Falcon and Winter Soldier, it takes place in actual places. Right. So, it was the 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 series starts and Sam is about to fly into Libya, which is that's a no-go. Or they went to Lithuania, they went to Latvia, they were outside of Berlin. These are known places. 
Right. But to suddenly go to a fictional place, that has meaning to me. I'm interested to see what happens. So, any other thoughts about that, the power broker? Um, based on some things that happen in that episode, some conversations that occur, uh, one of the prevailing fan theories is that Sharon is the power broker. Ah. And I find okay. that to be very interesting. I like that thought. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm torn because I want it to be true, but I also don't because I don't want Sharon to be the villain. And I don't, I don't, mm. I want to see it because her character deserves it. And I just, uh, I would have a really hard time if she was the big bad of the show. Yeah, I don't really see that happening, truthfully. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, though, is that not exactly what they would do? I suppose. I feel like from a predictability standpoint, they won't do it. But from a, it's exactly what people don't want to see standpoint, it's what they would do. Yeah. Well, moving on to the whole world is watching. Boy, were they. Yes, they were. All right. Um, Io, I think is how you say it. Io, the member of the Dora Milaje who uh, Bucky saw in the alley, gives the team eight hours to use Zemo before the Wakandans come and um, acquire him is the word I'm going to use. Um, as Zemo is wanted for having killed King T'Chaka in civil war and framing bucky for it we should not neglect um in that time zemo helps the team find carly at a funeral for her adoptive mother where walker and hoskins intercept them wilson speaks with morgenthau alone and attempts to persuade her to end the violence but an impatient walker intervenes and a fight ensues zemo destroys most of the serum before he is apprehended by walker who secretly takes the last vial Ayo and the Dora Milaje come for Zemo, but Walker refuses to hand him over. In the ensuing fight, the Dora Milaje humiliate Walker while Zemo escapes. Boy, do they. Oh my gosh, it was great. Uh, Morgenthau threatens Sarah, forcing Sam to meet with her so she can attempt to persuade him to join her. Walker and Hoskins engage other members of the Flag Smashers, leading to another fight in which Morgenthau accidentally kills Hoskins. Enraged by his friend's death and having taken the serum, Walker uses the shield to kill one of the Flag Smashers in front of horrified spectators, and Sam and Bucky, who film his actions. That summed it up perfectly. (laughs) That was great. (laughs) There is a lot that happens in this episode. Yes, it does. I, I came to work Monday morning, and one of my coworkers is like almost as nerdy as me but not really so i was like did you watch it and she was like no and i was like why (laughs) so much hits the fan and i need someone to talk about it with golly to me as much as i love the characters of zemo and bucky and sam the ending shot of this episode is the iconic shot of the series so far Oh, yeah. Because John Walker has just... You know the scene at the end of Civil War when Cap and Bucky are fighting Tony? And Cap raises the shield, and Tony's like, oh, he's going to kill me. That's definitely something Steve Rogers would do is kill me. Which I've... uh, I have so many problems with Tony in that scene, but let's move on. And Steve slams the shield into the arc reactor that powers the suit. That is exactly the correlation they were going with. 
it yes. shows the difference between the two of them as Captain America. Yeah. Because Walker takes the shield in that same two-handed motion over his head and just destroys this dude with it. And hits it, hits him over, like, repeatedly to the point where the ending scene is him putting the shield on his arm and it's just the whole bottom half is covered in blood. It's like, whoa, this is... This ain't your daddy's Captain America. I, My exact reaction to that scene is something I cannot say on this podcast. It is a very charged scene. Yeah, it is. And I mean, I I feel really bad because as much as I talked um, trash about Lamar as a character, which I believe that I did, um, he didn't deserve that. No, definitely not. No. I, that actually kind of upset me, but I knew he had to have something to cause him to break. Yeah. And I hate that it had to be that, but, I mean, he might as well have been wearing a red shirt for you Star Trek folks. <laughs> yes. Yes. And and I love when, I, I do like when John Walker comes into this building and, and you're like, well, he seems a lot stronger than he did before. And then he kicks the guy through the door and and the guy just keeps going like he doesn't like just hit the door and then fall over it's like him and the door both go flying towards the wall and um sam just happens to be there and he's like he looks at him and he's like what did you do because he knew he's seen because he knows he's seen that before yeah he knows immediately what he's done He's like, how could you, man? Because the the difference is, you know, in in John Walker's interview on Good Morning America, he talks about how he had never met Steve, but, you know, he looked up to him and he followed his career and all of that. Sam knew him. Yes. So they, I imagine they had, like, they talked about it. They were like, oh, you know, these are the things that, that Dr. Erskine said to me. He said, the serum amplifies what you already are. So for Steve, good became great. But for John Walker, it's starting to realize, oh, you know, anger becomes rage. Yeah. And you kind of see he he's just losing control because he doesn't he doesn't know what he's doing. He's become this super soldier, but in the eyes of most people he already was. So I mean, I feel like he's a he's a tragic villain, but he is absolutely a villain now. There's oh, no yeah. bones about it. No. He went from antagonist to straight up villain. I also think it's it's very pointed that Carly is the one who killed him, who killed Lamar, because people died in that um in that supply raid that they did, but this is the first person that she looked in the eyes and killed. Mm-hmm. As far yeah. as far as we know. And I don't know which um movie or show or whatever or it could have been a game um but i remember hearing a conversation between someone who had killed a lot of people and someone who hadn't he goes it changes you and these were two of the not not necessarily heroes but they were on the on the good end of the spectrum they're like you're not the same afterwards and we talked about the the progression of carly as a character from you know we just want things to be the way they were to blowing up that supply depot to now killing 
a member of the United States military. It, she's going to keep escalating at this point, whether she wants to or not. You know, Sam, uh, I liked when Sam confronted her at the funeral. Obviously, he waited till after the funeral, which was nice of him. But he went in and, and you know, he's talking to her about the mistakes that she's made. You know, and he's like, was it really worth it? Because you're, you're, yes, your motive, you have good intentions, but you're basically doing what they're doing. You're turning into the bad guy. And was really starting to get through to her. And then, of course, Cap shows up and... Don't you call him that. False Cap. The, all of... U.S. agent. Everything about Walker in this episode is brilliantly done because he is written and he is acted in a sense to make you hate him. So mission accomplished. The question is what's going to happen now? Theories. Theories of what happens now. Um Sam gets the shield. Why? Because Captain America was just live broadcast around the around the world straight up murdering somebody. So you say that he gets holst- he is a weapon that gets holstered. Okay, so you say the US government steps in, retires him and gives the shield to Sam. Um I think there I think there's a knockdown drag out between Sam and Bucky and Walker and then I think Sam and Bucky win leaving Walker extra humiliated and then he's going to not be a big player for the rest of episode five, but then he's going to have a good sized role to play in episode six, the finale. Okay. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. I think it's going to be a pretty big fight in this next episode at the beginning. And they're going to get the shield away from him. And then that's when he's going to, walk away but then i also feel like at the same time like the u.s government's also going to step in and be like you took it too far and he's also not going to be able to he's not going to be able to stop well and they're they're probably not going to allow him to be the captain america anymore so i think that will just be an extra layer of humiliation and then that's when i feel like we're going to get him turning into his true name with the U.S. agent. Do you think he he goes full heel and seeks out the power broker and becomes a direct opposition to the heroes? I could see that. I yeah. could absolutely see that. Because in the comics, he doesn't get the powers by stumbling upon a vial of the super soldier serum. He's I think he's experimented on by the power broker. Mm-hmm. So those two characters do have a history together. And so far, or at least to this point of the series, they've just kind of danced around it. Yeah. So I think I think episode five, we learn who the power broker is, and something have I think episode five ends. Walker and the power broker come to some type of agreement. Um, the cheesy comic book fan of me wants the see wants the scene to end. They shake hands dramatically, and then it fades to fades to credits. I don't think that's how it would go because I don't think that's how it should go. But you know what I mean? It'd be such a, oh, it'd yeah. be a terrible, terrible, cheesy scene, but I want it because it, it establishes, oh, the two villains 
are now the same villain team and what what happens from there yeah yeah that would be cool next episode we will be reviewing the last two episodes of this incredible series um we didn't even rate these episodes we should probably do that real quick for episode three i'm gonna give it a seven and then for episode four though I'm definitely giving it a nine. I'm I'm with you on episode four. I think it is a solid, solid nine. Um, but I remember just being overawed by episode three. The pacing is good. The action scenes are good. The drama is there. So I'm sticking by what I said, my immediate reaction of episode three, in that it is the best marvel television single episode to date and in order to be better than the nine that i gave episode four i give it a 10 oh wow it's so good for john to give a 10 that's saying something also can we take a step back real quick and talk sure. about what would have happened if everything had gone as scheduled and falcon and the winter soldier had come out before wandavision <laughs> how much of a letdown wandavision would have been that is so true. Because I'm not going to sit here and say WandaVision's a bad show. I don't think it is. I think it's a slow burn. You have to kind of get sure. through the slow parts, and then it really picks up. But this show, to me, and again, I'm very biased because I have more invested in these characters emotionally, but this show, it almost hits the ground running and doesn't stop. Yeah, do you, you know, looking back, do you think maybe that's the reason why they did it the way that they did was maybe they kind of tested it with audiences again, and maybe they thought, you know, we should probably switch these. I think that's incredibly possible. Um, but I also think part of the reason WandaVision was going to come out when it did, or when it would have, um, it was going to lead directly into Doctor Strange, um, as we as we talked about multiple times. And then when yeah. Doctor Strange got pushed back an entire calendar year, they right. were like, well we have it done. We can go ahead and release it. And it, it makes me wonder if Falcon and the winter soldier ties into black widow somehow, because that's still scheduled to come out. Was that, that's also July now, isn't it? Or is it May? I think it's July Okay, because originally, I mean, black, obviously black widow was going to come out last summer and then it got pushed back to November, which would have been right around when Falcon and the winter soldier would have finished if it had released normally. So I wonder, um, because I also wonder if, if we get a cameo in this series, because we got, obviously we got a big cameo in Mandalorian season two, and we got, we got a cameo in WandaVision. People talked it up and they were wrong to do that, but it makes me wonder. Oh, also we didn't talk about during the, the, the fight with Walker and the Dora Milaje. Yes. Oh, Zemo gets away. Zemo, Zemo gets away. Um, so he's in the wind now. But the big discussion online from this scene is the Wakandans built a failsafe into Bucky's arm. Oh, yes. So she's able to... Were you were you ever a kid and you would like poke people in the, the pressure points? And they'd be like, ah, yes. stop it. I hate it. Stop that. She uh-huh. does that to Bucky's arm very precisely. And the arm falls off. 
like Mrs. Nesbitt in Toy Story. <laughs> I can't take yes. I can't take credit for that. That's another meme that I saw over the weekend. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yes, but yes, um, yeah, that was that was shocking. At, at the same time, not really. I, I kind of, you know, I mean, it makes sense. Oh, I completely understand you know, it. Yeah, because they, well, I mean, not only that, but they know that technology really well too. So you know, even if there wasn't actually a failsafe, she probably knows that technology so well that she knows. Hey, if I push right here, his arm's gonna fall off. You know, and so you know, even Sam afterwards was like, "Did you know they could do that?" <laughs> and he's like, "No." Because <laughs> I the. What I saw on Twitter was people were like, I can't believe they would do that. You know, did they not trust him enough to do that? And it's like, no. Are you familiar with the Winter Soldier's history? Yeah, he's a killer. He murdered a lot of people. Yeah, you got to make sure that you can, you know. I mean, good gracious people. Even Batman has like a, a backup plan for all of the heroes in case they turn rogue. Which is and start killing which is everybody. one of my favorite DC animated movies, by the way. Yeah, isn't that DC Doom? Is that what that was? Justice League Doom, yeah. Yeah. It's so good. Um I would I would actually love to review that one time. Um, but that's a conversation for another time. Um But people were like, How could they do this? They they are the ones who broke his training, which is how the episode starts. Yeah, it's which a, was really cool. It's a to flashback see. to pre- when would that have been? That would have been post Black Panther end credit scene where Bucky is just kind of doing Bucky things. And then Infinity War when they give him the arm. So it's in between those two scenes. And she does the code words that Zemo uses in Civil War to activate him and turn him into the Winter Soldier again. And they don't work. And he, it's such a powerful story so of redemption. Good. Well, and he, Sebastian Stan was so good acting that scene. Yeah. Because he has very few lines, but he tells an incredible story. Well, shall we move on? I think we shall. To the main event, Blade Runner 1982. Do you want to know what other movies came out in 1982? You know, I was curious. I, I was curious as well, so I looked it up. Because um, this came out in June twenty fifth, nineteen eighty two. So this is just this is just movies of the year. I don't have them by release order because there were a lot. Um, the first oh. Tron came out in nineteen eighty two. Uh, okay. First Blood, the first Rambo movie came out in nineteen eighty two. Oh. Um, e. T. Wow. Same same year there. Uh, a lot of sci fi movies came out this Conan year. Conan the Barbarian. Wow. The Dark Crystal. What. Uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, John Hey-o. John Carpenter's The Thing, uh, An Officer and a Gentleman, um, for, for people whose mothers might be listening, that's probably a movie that they're familiar with, uh, Gandhi, starring Ben Kingsley, Grease 2, everyone's favorite sequel, and um, just a, a fun one for me, this movie called Death Trap is based on a play that I read in college, and the play is actually really good. Um, oh, so 1982 was a good year for movies. Also, a movie that we we have very recently talked about on the podcast. Jay, would you like to guess what movie we recently talked about came out in 1982? Oh gosh, you're gonna put me on the spot because now I gotta think about all the movies we've talked about. But we don't normally um, talk about movies from the 80s, so that should narrow it down. 
Well, we reviewed Back to the Future, but that was 1985. I don't know. I'm drawing a yeah, blank. Yeah, you are staring into darkness, my friend. Blade Runner and Wrath of Khan are both from the same year. Both. What a year for sci-fi movies. Both sci-fi icons, but for really different reasons. Into Dark... I mean, not Into Darkness. Um, <laughs> Wrath of Khan and... Wow, that's a lot of movies. Uh-huh. The Thing. A lot of iconic movies. Uh-huh. So something about 1982. I mean, don't get me wrong. I was cherry-picking. There are a lot of movies in this list I've never heard of. So Blade Runner is, uh, like we said, a movie uh, made in 1982, set in 2019 in Los Angeles, 2019 it was made directed by ridley scott uh ridley scott is um an interesting director because he either makes really good stuff or not so great stuff i think that's fair one of the things that most people think of when they think of ridley scott is alien which um there is rumor, I don't know if this is true, I don't know if he said this, but Alien and Blade Runner take place in the same universe, just at different time periods. Oh, I don't know so that that's I would have that together. So that's why the replicants are very much like the androids that are in Alien, but just used for different reasons. Um, so yes, so this is a world, a futuristic world, uh, where there has been, the technology has gotten very advanced where they've been able to make androids that are called replicants. They are very, very human and look and act and behave just like humans. Um, the fail safe though, to make sure that they don't uh, take over the world, I guess you could say, like in Terminator, is they only have a four-year lifespan. Uh, but they're born, born, I'll put that in air quotes, they're born at, as older people. So it's not like they age. Exactly. This movie is very iconic, is very, very much debated. It's a highly debated movie on what the meaning is, uh, maybe the races of the, what kind of creature some of the main characters are, is very much debated. I would put this in the same ballpark with 2001 A Space Odyssey, in that it's kind of a sci-fi artsy film. Okay. Because it's definitely not the kind of movie that you want to watch if you're looking for a sci-fi movie with action. It is very slow. Very slow. I would, as as accurate as that criticism is, I would prefer to call it methodical, which paints it as slow, but in a, in a positive way. Yes, with purpose. Yes, it is slow with purpose. Definitely. And that's why I put it more in the artsy category. Because it's not like it's slow because it's boring. It's slow because they're taking a lot of time to focus on all the small details. So it's just very different, but very in. Well, we'll get to that later. So uh, just Be- real quick, we can we, run through. Before we get starring, too into it, what? though, I want to ask you a very important Blade Runner question, and that is, Jay, which version of the movie did you watch? Oh, 
definitely watch the final cut. Ah, excellent. Which can now be streamed on HBO Max. That was so I got kind of in a in a slight panic earlier um because I had the way this week has gone, I never had time to watch the movie up until I was like, "Oh, you know, we've been recording decently late. I'll watch it as soon as I get home and we'll be able to record tonight." And I I did that because the last time when we recorded last, I looked it up and I was like, oh, okay, you can stream it on Hulu. The final cut of Blade Runner, you can stream on Hulu. And I went to do that this time and it's not there. So oh, they no. must have taken it off for April. You know, as, as things happen, they get take they move around, who has the rights, that type of thing. Um, right. So you can also rent it from Amazon, which is what I did. There you go. <laughs> but yes, I, I also watched the final cut. And yes, some people, some of you, if you have not uh, seen this movie, there are multiple versions of this movie. There's the theatrical version, uh, which is the original version that came out in 1982. Um, it's, I believe, it's a little bit shorter, and um, honestly, the way that it ends may, will make you think a certain direction because this movie ends where you're kind of like you are allowed to decide what happens in a way in, in a way like it's kind of like it's it's equivalent to the spinning top at the end of inception did he wake up That's... or did he not wake up actually i read about that recently and the the common thought immediately in the wake of that was that it doesn't matter because his focus wasn't on the top it was on his children Right. But I read, I think it was actually this past this past week, where it is definitive because in the dream, he was never able to see his children's faces, and at the end of the movie, he they turn and look at him. Yes. So in that it sense... It really I, could go either I way. Think it, I, th- I, I think Inception ends definitively now. I didn't used to. Again, that would be an interesting uh, an interesting movie to review. It's been it would. It's probably been but the better movie, part of a decade since I've seen it, to be honest with you. This movie is very uh is equivalent in that it ends and you kind of like it's very much debated. Uh there's really not a now the director has has said what he thinks, but even his what he thinks really is not even that clear. So I don't know why people are like, well, duh, he said this. And it's like, he's not really saying that. The point is, is that this is a really good movie and I like the way that it ends. However, it depends on the version that you watched. So if you watch the original theatrical version, you might think something else. Whereas if you watched the final cut, like John and I did, you might come to a completely different conclusion. Or you may have watched the really awkward one in the middle that came out that was like kind of a mixture of both, but was also really confusing because there was also voiceover on and, and like Deckard is um, uh, oh, narrating. Voiceover was the theatrical. Uh, the di- oh, the was director's it? cut in 1992 took out the voiceovers, added a unicorn running through a forest, and removed the happy ending from the studio. Okay from the from the theatrical release gotcha okay i wasn't sure what it did uh, you would just kind of in like swap the two okay essentially my bad that's all right i also have the this movie has enough different versions versions of blade runner 
is a Wikipedia page. Let me let me count it for you, Jay. I believe there that. are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven separate versions of this movie. Well, there you go. That's absurd. I've never heard of that before. And 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 this is the kind of movie too where you're either you're either gonna like it or you're gonna hate it. Like there's really no in between. I feel. I I disagree in the same sense that this is looking back on it critically. This movie is sci-fi fight club from a reaction standpoint. Because there are a lot of people who have the opinion that you do. You either love Fight Club or you hate Fight Club. And there are various messages and and things that go along with Fight Club that obviously aren't going to be the same to Blade Runner. But I feel like there are people who could just be like, eh. Because hating it to me is active. Hating Blade Runner would be like, you see someone on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram talk about like, oh, I watched Blade Runner and I really enjoyed it. And you engage in a conversation to try to change their mind. (laughs) But I think it is possible to watch a movie like this and just be like, I mean, I liked it, but I don't understand it. Because that's, Mm. that's kind of just a more middle ground road to where I am. Because like you said, there are multiple versions of this movie and there are multiple endings of this movie. And I enjoy this movie. I enjoy a lot of things about this movie, the design, the cinematography, the soundtrack, the acting. But I don't understand this movie. So we have the stars of this movie is Harrison Ford, who plays Rick Deckard, who is the Blade Runner. A Blade Runner is a specific part of the police department that hunts down replicants that are not doing what they are supposed to be doing and they kill them or they they, they retire, retire them. them he's essentially yes. a replicant hitman yes but police sanctioned we have sean young who played rachel edward james almost i believe is how you pronounce his last name he played gaff and then we have Rutger Hauer, who plays Roy Batty. I he's been that guy in particular has been in several different things. I can't name them off the top of my head, but he's a very well known. When you see his face, you're like, there's, oh yeah, that guy. There's one that you will definitely um, remember, and I'm having to pull up his filmography to know who the character was. Um, he was a character in Batman Begins. Yes, he was. So before I watched Blade Runner, that was that was the role I associated with him was Batman Begins because it was the movie I had seen the most or at least the most recently. Um, but this this I believe is his most known role, and I believe it is also the role of which he is the most proud. So the basic overview of this movie is a Blade Runner must pursue and terminate four replicants who stole a ship in space and have returned to Earth to find their creator. Because what is their wish? Their wish is to extend their life past four years, and they think there's got to be a way to do that. And they have become human enough that they don't want to die. They don't want to end their life. They want to keep living. And so they're trying to figure out, how do you live forever? They are the Nexus Six version of the replicants replicants in this time period are not allowed on earth anymore 
They have to be in space or on a colony in another planet, which was advertised very much during the course of this movie. Go to another colony where it's golden. Well, it it gives credence to your your theory. I guess it's not a theory; it's just just a fact that reality. Yeah, that Blade Runner and Alien take place in the same universe because they wouldn't like they would be. They would push them to space. Go, go, go to space. Yeah, we don't want you here. Go to space. I would want to go to space too if where I was living it rained twenty four seven. And everything was crumbling and wet all the time. I mean, yes, but those cars, though. Those cars were so cool. Which, did you notice that not all of them fly? Yes. I think it's just the police cars that fly. It is. Again, so I'm, I'm scrolling the, the Blade Runner Wikipedia page. The Blade Runner cars have their own Wikipedia page. They're called <laughs> Spinners. Oh, spinner is a generic term for the fictional flying cars used in Blade Runner. A spinner can be driven as a ground-based vehicle, take off vertically, hover, and cruise using jet propulsion, much like a VTOL, which is I only know from like a, a kill streak in Call of Duty. Um, currently in use today, uh, in the movie they are used extensively by police to patrol and survey the populations. And it is clear that despite restrictions, wealthy people can acquire spinner licenses. Well, there you go. And do you want to know a movie from our childhood that the cars were very, very much influenced by the Blade Runner spinners? No Attack idea. Attack of the Clones. Oh, really? Think oh, back yes. to the, the chase scene at the beginning okay, yeah, of the movie. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're not a one-for-one one copy, but they're absolutely like, this leads to that. Yes, very similar. So maybe that galaxy is not so far away after all. There we go. Maybe Star Wars and Alien take place in this. Ah, there you go. I feel like that would not end well for the alien. <laughs> no. <laughs> so Rick is hanging out at a soggy noodle bar. Soggy because it's raining so much. And um, Gaff comes up out of nowhere and is like, hey, we have a job for you. So they pull him away. And his job is he's got a retire these four replicants that have found their way to earth and uh so he he goes on does that goes to this guy to test uh, to to the creator because that's what they're trying to get to is the replicant creator and uh the creator asks deckard to test out his uh replicant abilities being able to to detect them and so he he says hey test it on this human first so the human sits down and he starts he pulls out his awkward eye gazing machine and of course in the final cut you see uh, her eyes have this odd glow to them which is kind of the first sign that that she's a replicant and starts asking the questions, gets, gets through over a hundred questions before discovering that she is a replicant. She leaves and goes to a different room, and he says, she's a replicant, but she doesn't know that she's one. And the creator's like, yes, one of my newest inventions, and I'm trying to perfect the 
human quality, the emotional quality, because that's what separates a replicant from a human, is that replicants can't be, they can't express emotion. So they'll ask them various questions and try to get them to answer in a way that doesn't show any kind of emotion. So like, for example, one of the questions, and it's actually, it's one of my favorite ones, and for some reason my ears are popping, so give me a second. It's kind of weird. I'm in the garage, but my ears started popping. It's, it's pressure. There's probably a storm or something coming through. Maybe. I know that happens to me at work. Like, my, my ears will get tight, and I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, it's because it's going to rain in, like, 45 minutes. Thank you, weatherman John. <laughs> and um, so, for example, one of the questions I really like that he asks is he, he talks about a, a boy comes up to her and shows her his butterfly collection, but then also shows her the jar of dead ones or his dead jar the, or something the killing like that jar where he where the he killing catches jar. them and kills them humanely in an effort right. to preserve them to put them on display so then he asked what would you do and she was like well take him to a doctor because that kid's crazy but a, a a replicant who wasn't very in touch with the emotional side may not say anything and not see the problem in that. It was stuff like that that was ways to try to trick them and then also watch their pupil dilation or something. I'm not sure. We can probably skip forward, honestly, to the very end of this movie, the last confrontation. Um, I, I would like to, to address when... So there are... Decker definitely shoots first. <laughs> so we we've talked about how how Deckard is tasked with hunting down these four Nexus Six replicants. He originally gets a lead on the first one. Actually, he gets a lead on the second one while investigating the first one. So Leon is the first one, and then who's this? The second one is the the dancer, the the snake yeah. dancer, which is that was a weird scene. And that was a fake snake. Do you really think I could afford a real? I one? thought that was very interesting because she was also not real. But so he's he's hunting her down and he Oh, it's also worth noting that this movie is also rated R. Exceptionally. So, yeah, don't uh, don't watch this with your kids. Um so he hunts down his first of the four and then is almost immediately challenged by the second, by Leon, the one from the opening scene of the movie. And he's losing his gun or he loses his gun and he is getting the pulp beat out of him before Rachel picks up the gun. And one taps Leon. He did. He did. So I thought that was a very interesting character development moment. Yeah. Because now it is, now there's just the two left. And they make it till right about the end of the movie. Also, there's a there's a scene where Roy Batty, who is the, the Rutger Hauer character, um, goes and he, and he meets Terrell, the maker of the replicants, the one who designed his brain. And they have a, a very interesting back and forth because Terrell is very proud of his invention because he doesn't see his um, mortality flashing before him. Because as soon as, as soon as Roy learns that there's nothing I can do, every theory you have, every question you, you have about what could we do this, he goes, well, I tried that and it failed. I tried that and it failed. So it's not that the, the four-year lifespan is just... A, a, a workaround so they don't take over the world, there was effort made to be like, what if we liked one of them? Like, what if we what if we didn't want him to die after four years? 
And then Jay, did you watch? Uh, did you watch Game of Thrones? <laughs> yes, I so, did. There's a very Game of Thrones esque scene. So that's that's exactly what. As soon as so Roy Batty, he puts his hand on one side of Terrell's head, and he lifts up his other hand, and I was like, I had flashbacks. <laughs> I had flashbacks to watching the the scene with Oberyn Martell in the mountain. Because that is pres- well, it's not exactly what happens. Not no. It doesn't go not, as far. It's not that. Yeah. But. Uh, yeah, he crushes he, everything. Takes out his eyes. His eyes, dude. Yeah, he he does it all. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. He 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 kind of felt bad for him. I mean, I felt bad for him in the sense of like, what a way to go. But I didn't feel too bad for him because it's like you literally did this to yourself. You yes. created the the AI in the fake brain of this fake person. Dr. Frankenstein was killed by his monster. Yes. And also, what a huge bed and why all the candles? <laughs> you know, I had completely breezed past that. But now that you say that, I can't unsee it because yeah and he he had such a strange relationship with the little guy that made toys that looked like tortured people there are a lot of really big jumps that you just kind of have to accept for this movie to move forward and the the jf sebastian character is one of those jumps for me i i don't know man i think you're right in the sense of it starts and it moves and it moves and it moves and the last, like, five minutes of this movie are iconic. Mm-hmm. But you don't understand any of it without paying pretty close attention to the rest of it. Yeah, and that's key in this movie, is you really do have to pay close attention through the entire thing. This is definitely not something you can watch while also talking to people or watch while doing something else. Like, your attention has to be solely on this movie the entire time which for a lot of people is going to be hard because there are a lot of slow parts in this movie but we finally get to the end of the movie um and it's the final showdown between the last two replicants and deckard and uh the first one is taken out she's um a ballerina, I guess you could say, a gymnast. She's doing a lot of flips and um, is actually doing a really good job of taking out Deckard and uh, is about to do some flip, a series of pl- flips, I guess, to take him out. I'm not sure. But then he shoots her right as she is about to hit him and then has a fit on the floor. Um, yeah, I didn't love watching that bit. That was hard it to was watch. Not the hardest thing to watch in this movie, but it was definitely a close second. Yeah, and so he uh, thankfully shoots her again so that she'll stop. And um, which there was kind of this love thing between her and uh, Roy Batty, and so he he finds her and he's pretty upset. But then he, you know, he's like, "I'm gonna kill." You know, well, he also, he, he kind of goes, okay, you, he, it was interesting because he really is like trying to be human. Like he wants to be human. 
He wants to be recognized. You know, he basically wants to go from Pinocchio to the real boy. And in that moment, he kind of just goes, okay, fine. You want to call me an animal and treat me like an animal? Fine, I'll be an animal. And he strips off his clothes, puts the blood on his face from the dead girlfriend, uh, and just goes crazy. Is like but in the throwing his head through the wall, breaking Deckard's fingers. <laughs> the finger thing <laughs> is the third hardest thing to watch. I actually I didn't I didn't watch it. I I, I cowered in front like like I don't want to watch that. Hearing it is bad enough because yeah. it crunches. Yeah, oh, yeah, there's a there's a sound made with that. But the the thing that the thing that in that fight scene that's even harder to watch for me than the fingers breaking is Roy Batty, the character, the replicant is at the end of his lifespan. And you can tell that because mid fight, his hand locks up Mm -hmm. and in order to get movement and feeling back in that hand, he does, he, he forces feeling into the hand by taking a sizable nail out Mm -hmm. of a board from the floor and completely punching it through and leaving it there for the rest of the movie. And it shows it. It shows it leave the backside of his hand complete, like tinting the skin up and then just puncturing. And it's like, ah, ah. (laughs) Yeah. And then it's just, it's just there the rest of the movie. It's there. And he's chasing after Deckard and Deckard's getting away. And, um, I feel like he quotes a lot of, like literature type of stuff at Deckard and you know it's like ah you know basically just like I'm gonna get you I'm gonna get you here I come (laughs) Deckard climbs up to the roof and is you know has this look on his face like oh finally I can get away and then of course he busts open through the floor and comes in he's on the the roof too Um, And then this is when things get really interesting because Deckard, you know, in in a desperate attempt to get away from the big bad, leaps from one building to the other and doesn't quite make it and is hanging on the side. Guy, the bad guy, jumps over, no problem, now has a dove in his hand for whatever reason. Which, they don't show that. I think that was something that they, they definitely messed up on. <laughs> they never established when he picks up this bird. <laughs> like, where did the dove come from? I don't know. But he has a dove in his hand, which he's not holding the way you would normally hold a dove. He's holding it by, like, its tail. He grabs Deckard and pulls him up to safety. And then dies. Right there in front of Deckard. Almost instantly. Like, as soon as he drops Deckard on the roof, he just kind of looks at him, and Deckard's sitting there, like, collapsed on the roof. He's like, I'm alive. I'm not dead. I'm not dead. And then, as he's having that realization, Roy just kind of slumps. It was a very interesting... the, The monologue, the character, the Roy Batty character has right before that, is very interesting. Because he talks about, you know, I've seen things no one else would believe. And he talks about how because he is dying in this moment, those are memories that no one else will ever know. And the line that he has 
is the memories will be lost in time like tears in rain. And that is such a cool line because, I mean, it's it's the, the imagery of it combined with this character who is face-to-face with his mortality in the rain covered in blood knowing he is dying. It's a remarkable little monologue. He says, specifically, he says, I've known adventures, seen places you people will never see. I've been off-world and back, frontiers. I've stood on the back deck of a blinker bound for the uh, politician camps with sweat in my eyes, watching stars fight on the shoulder of Orion. I felt wind in my hair, riding test boats off the black galaxies and seeing an attack fleet burn like a match and disappear. I've seen it, felt it. Anyway, it's uh, it's pretty incredible. And it's, and it's interesting because I think to me... This is the beginning. No, actually, it was before that. But this, to me, was one of the big things that happens in the movie that makes me believe, because this is the question. Here's We're getting to the main thing that, that we're, that we're going to be talking about, is, is Deckard a replicant? Is the big question that everybody asks about this movie. And this scene right here, is one of the things that makes me think he might actually be a replicant. And the reason for that is because I think it's interesting that this guy, this replicant has been chasing him all this time, wanting to kill him. And when he finally has the opportunity to do so, for some reason, he looks at him and decides, no, I'm not going to do it. And I think it's because he realized in that moment, this is one of my kind. And so he picked him up and set him down instead of letting him fall. I could see that. I really think that that's why he did it. I don't, I don't quite have the same depth of belief in is Deckard a replicant? Um, I think he is. I don't have anything to back that up other than just like gut feeling. I feel like you know, we, we talked about earlier comparing it to the Inception ending, you know, is he, isn't he, is the top spinning, does it stop? I feel like it's almost, it, it ends in a way that is supposed to be ambiguous, and then 35 years later they made a sequel. So, I mean, I say all of this without with having not seen Blade Runner 2049. Yeah, me neither. Um, but having seen this and having the respect for it that I do... I don't know that I want to. Yeah, especially if it answers that question. Yeah, I, 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 because I want this movie to stand on its own. It has earned that to me. Because I've got, I've got more evidence to back that up too. Because uh, one thing I didn't pay attention to in this movie, and, and I didn't pay attention to until this last time I watched it, was he was able to name, like he was able to say the memories that Rachel had when she was younger and I thought, well, wait a minute, how does he know what memories she has unless he has also had the same memories? That one, I, because they're programmed to have memories, but how does he know what memory? Cause he's like, Oh, let me guess. You remember. And he names something very specific, two things actually very specific. And she doesn't say yes or no. 
but she definitely doesn't ever say, no, that's not true at all. And so I'm like, how did he know what her memories were unless he, being a replicant, was programmed to have the same memories? So um, to devil's advocate you, I do think that one is very, very soft because he is a Blade Runner. Not only is he a Blade Runner, he is regarded as the Blade Runner. He is the best of the best in the sense of when they had these elite level targets, they went, well, they went to someone else first and he got killed, but they came to him because they knew he's the only one who could do it. So he has this immense experience. So he knows backwards and forwards. And it could be a common thread of we, you know, he's seen so many programmed with these same sets of memories because they were taken from Terrell's niece. Could be, yeah. And that's the other thing that I would say. Um, if if Deckard is a replicant, they would not give him the memories of a niece. Maybe I think not. that's a bit more surface level, and I could be wrong about that, but I feel like they would. I mean, again, with a movie made in the '80s they would have gendered memories. And then also, another thing is Gaff is kind of the weird guy through the whole movie. Well, he tends to show up at like the perfect moment. And so he also, um, you know, so he, I think he might be the one who's kind of like in charge of Deckard, you know, as if Deckard is a replicant, like he's the one who kind of, make sure that he's doing what it is that he's supposed to be doing. Um, Because then at the very end, what happens is, is he gets a unicorn and, uh, or he, because he makes origami all the time and there is a origami unicorn and Deckard had had a dream about a unicorn in the movie. And so the question is, how would Gaff know that he had a dream of a unicorn if he didn't know his programming. And because he knows his programming, he knows that he had dreamed of a unicorn. So that's another really big sign that he might be a replicant. And the last thing that comes up that makes me think that he might be a replicant is when Gaff shows up on the rooftop, happens to show up right after uh, this replicant has died, and he looks at Gaff... Or he, he looks at Deckard, rather, and he goes, good job. You did a good job. You did a man's job. That is another thing that makes me think, okay, he might actually be a replicant because that comment would actually mean something to Deckard if he really is a replicant. I think the the of the points that you made, the one that seems the most plausible to me is absolutely the origami unicorn. Because if you think about it, this is a dream that Deckard had. How would how would that have been known to anyone else if it was not something that had been programmed? Because this is like, not necessarily post-apocalyptic future LA, but it's definitely dystopian in the sense that you're not hanging around at the water cooler going, you know, I had this weird dream the other night. There's a unicorn prancing through the forest. Like, that's not a conversation that Deckard and Gaff have had. And a unicorn is not exactly something that stands out in this rain-drenched Los Angeles. So that, to me, is definitely the big one. And 
I, I'm kind of surprised you didn't mention this. Um, there are a couple of scenes in the movie where you, you referenced earlier, sometimes the replicants have that telltale eye glint, and mm, there yes. are scenes where Deckard does. A few. They're really brief, though, so it does kind of make me wonder, was that on purpose, or was that just the camera angle? I think it's, I think it's both. I think it was the camera angle on purpose to oh, cause okay. you to think, just say... Oh, was it the camera angle? Was it something more? And like we said, it depends on your version that you watch too, because the original version doesn't have that with the yeah. eyes. So. I I also I I want to address um the I I've talked about it a little bit. There are various parts of this movie that are very hard to watch for me. I would call them cringe uh, because that's the physical motion that I did when I was watching it. Um, and the, the scene in the middle of the movie where Deckard like forces himself on Rachel, uh, I did yes. not love that. It, yeah. it definitely is a, is a big minus to this movie. Yeah. That's not how consent yeah, It's works. not. It's like, she gets up to leave and he just stands in the way of the door and he's like, love me. <laughs> not in those words. Yeah. But... He even says like, tell me to do this. Tell me to do that. And it's like, you're getting permission, but not really because you're telling her to say those things. Yeah. It's, it's like you said, that's not how consent works. So that's not how consent works. So I think that's not how the force works. I think if you take that scene out or rework it in a way where it's not as, um, aggressive is the word I'm going to choose to use this movie is near flawless Hmm. as it is. That is a big, big minus that I do think needed to be addressed. You could, you know, kind of chalk it up and say, well, you know, because of the times that the movie was made, but at the same time, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't make it any better, Yeah. but yeah. So, um, give a quick rating. So you, um, you call it a near perfect movie. Uh, we should call it, let's see, on a scale of one to ten replicants, how many replicants would you give this movie? Uh, I would probably give Blade Runner, the final cut, nine out of ten replicants. Nine out of ten replicants. I would give it nine replicants and that owl. <laughs> so like nine and a half? <laughs> nine and a half. I also I also want to give We could also do a scale sometime of what, like nineteen eighty two sci fi movies. You're not wrong. There's quite the <laughs> there's quite the gamut there. I also think it's important to shout out the, the author of the the piece that Blade Runner is loosely based on. It That's is true. it is loosely yeah. based on Philip K. Dick's nineteen sixty eight novel Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. And if that name rings a bell to you, it's because I would tout him as one of the bigger or more notable names in terms of science fiction adaptation movies. Yes, um, definitely. The ones that jump out to me are Total Recall, um, the first one, the the original, because I try to forget that most of Colin Farrell's movies exist. Uh, Minority Report, which is incredibly underrated. Um, I really, really enjoy Minority Report. And 2006's A Scanner Darkly, 
that mo- that I never like, saw that. weirdly animated movie with Keanu. I never saw it, but hmm. I'm interest like I'm intrigued. And then he also did um Man in the High Castle. He did. He has a lot. Um and they're all they're all short stories too, so they're pretty easy to read. Style and works, adaptations, films. Uh let's see if any of these jump out. Next, that Nicolas Cage movie? I don't oh, know yeah. if that was his. Uh The Adjustment Bureau, starring Matt Damon. That's a good one. Uh Man in the High Castle, you said, Minority Report. And then I imagine some of these are other like stage adaptations of the movies or of TV shows. Now, do robots dream of electric sheep? I don't know, but they do dream of unicorns. Or do they? Or do they? That's the question of the of the night. So both rated high. I think I'm going to watch the second one, the sequel, just to see what happens. I'm torn. I'm, I'm very curious because I like Harrison Ford and I like Ryan Gosling. And so to see them together in the same movie, I think might be kind of fun. So I think I'm going to watch it. I mean, the, the cast for 2049 is very good. I mean, it's pretty stellar. Because it's Gosling, Harrison Ford, uh, Anna de Armas uh, from Knives Out, soon to be of the, the new Bond movie, um, Robin Wright, Dave Bautista, and Jared Leto, who I am a big fan of. Also, I think it's odd that of that cast, I think Jared Leto is the only one to have won an Oscar. Because Gosling hasn't, Ford hasn't. I don't think Robin Wright has. She's won a Golden Globe but not an Oscar. So listeners, we want to hear what you think about this movie. First off, uh, thank you to the listener who suggested this movie. We very much enjoyed it. It was very fun to review this and please send us more of your thoughts and opinions on maybe what you want us to review. You can do that several different ways. You can email us, they didn't ask us at gmail.com. You can also reach us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash they didn't ask us. Uh, on there, you can also see all of our stuff that we post. We'll post videos, articles, and we also, the week before an episode is released, we put what we are going to be reviewing so that you can catch up on it before you listen to this episode. So that is a reason to follow us on Facebook. You can follow us on Instagram at they didn't ask us. We have um, not a whole lot of stuff on there. Uh, usually it's just reminders for episodes. Uh, and then we tend to like a lot of stuff on there as well. Um, different announcements and things like that. Uh, sometimes we'll put snarky comments on other people's posts. So it's fun. It's all good fun. Um, but uh you can also go to our website, they didn't ask us pod.com. From there, you can listen to all of our latest episodes. You can see a bio of our uh, podcast hosts, me and John. That's it, because that's <laughs> all we got. And uh, so you can see our picture there in our quick bio. And then, of course, you can also get in touch with us that way, too. There's a little, uh, basically like a comment card down at the bottom, and uh, that will come into us and let us know uh, what you think and what's going on. 
Um, John, you can follow him. J Mueller three two two seven. No three set eight five. Dead gummit J. None none what, whatever. Eight, J Mueller eight three three two on on Twitter there and it Twitch. Is. And fun fun announcement um, for me on Twitch. Um, in the past couple of weeks, I have finally eclipsed a hundred follows. What? So, um, in in response to that, and then also my one year of Twitch affiliate and my birthday at the end of May, um, I'm going to be doing a 24 hour stream for wow. charity. Whoa! I I reached out uh, to some friends of mine who are involved with a charity called Kickin' It 615. Uh, They're a a local Nashville-based charity that um, tries to get soccer to to underprivileged areas around Nashville. And I'm going to be doing a 24-hour charity stream to benefit them. So I'm very excited about that. That's very cool. I'm also very intimidated by that because... I would also be very intimidated. Yeah, 24 hours. Good gracious. It's going to be a thing. Well, very cool. So you can follow John on there. If you want to follow me on Instagram, you can follow me. The nerd is underscore in. Post a lot of things on there about my child, my baby, and all the funny, cute things that he's up to. But those are all great ways that you can get in touch with us and follow us and see what we are up to. I do have a question from a listener to John. What would it take for John to watch James Cameron's Aliens 6? Uh, not a whole lot. Um, I think, to be completely honest, it would take that being the movie for an episode and also having seen Alien. I have not seen Alien, and I'm not about to watch Aliens without having... I'm not about to watch a sequel without having seen the first movie. I feel like that is a fair stance to have. I'd say that's but, fair. But, I mean, both of them are... Alien and Aliens both are icons of science fiction film, and I am mildly ashamed that I haven't seen either of them. So, in answer to the listener's question, it would not take a lot to get me to watch Aliens. <laughs> you don't have to see Alien before watching Aliens. Right. And I, I understand that, like, theoretically... Like, it does kind of stand alone. But I feel like there are parts of Alien that are used to build off of into Aliens. So if if nothing, if absolutely nothing else, I would understand Aliens better by having seen Alien. So now that we've already done a Ridley Scott, maybe we could do another one some other time. You, Of course you are referring to Gladiator, another oh, excellent yes. Ridley Scott film. Yes, it is. Probably one of his more notable movies. Also highly regarded as well. I would say in in terms of notoriety, definitely. Well, very good. Well, thank you guys for tuning in to another episode. I hope we didn't bore you too much. Uh, We had a lot of slow parts in here, but ultimately... No, no, no. No, we we... had methodical parts. Jay, we've established (laughs) this. (laughs) methodical parts in this episode but we got to the end and now you have to decide are we replicants or are we human it's better than having are we replicants are we human or or are are we we human dancer huh all right bye y'all nerd out 
Thank you for listening to another episode of They Didn't Ask Us. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, we would love to hear from you. You can reach the show by email at theydidn'taskus at gmail.com. Whether you just discovered our podcast or have been a long-time listener, if you enjoy what we are doing, please take a moment after the show, give us a review, and also give us a rating. Tune in next time to hear more random nerdy thoughts and opinions from your new favorite podcast.